Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to 3CR. We really are in unprecedented times and 3CR, as your local community broadcaster, is trying to do our part to minimise the spread of the coronavirus throughout the community. At the front of our minds is protecting the most marginalised and vulnerable, but we are still here. And we'll continue broadcasting 24 hours a day with radical alternative content throughout this period, but things will sound a bit different. Some programmers will present their shows on the phone and we'll be finding creative ways to bring you our regular programming. So stay tuned, stay safe and be kind to each other. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs, and our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week, this week I'd like to welcome Brendan to 3CR Studio. Hi. Hi, Bill. How are you going? Uh, Brendan's a compulsive gambler, uh, recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking about the early stages of recovery in Gamblers Anonymous and some of the issues that gamblers face um, in the first 12 months. So, um, Brendan, do you want to talk about, I guess, how you were triggered to get into GA? And then what, what, are the, what are the initial challenges you face um, coming into GA? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I was obviously triggered um, to go into GA by uh, being caught for um, my 15 years of um, some secretive and some not so secretive um, compulsive gambling. Um, I was um, exposed and caught out. Um, on May the 9th um, last year, and that led to obviously a few days of um, all of the secrets, all of the lies, all of the accounts, all of the loans, the credit cards, the, the financial implications of what I'd done um, coming to the surface um, and obviously realising that I had a severe um, problem um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a severe addiction that needed um, treatment, that needed help, that needed um, medicine, if you would call it that. And um, I knew of Gamble's Anonymous. I had been uh, many years ago, probably you know, almost 13 years ago. Um, I decided then and there that it wasn't for me. I wasn't as bad as these people in there. Um, so I knew about it um, and through calling Gamble's help, the day after I was exposed um, and guided to my, the local meeting that I'd already attended before, um, I was able to, you know, a few days later, attend my first meeting um, with my best friend um, for some support, which was suggested to me through the Gambler's Help Hotline to make me not feel so alone and isolated. Um, but I think when I walked in, I probably felt, the least alone and the least isolated I had ever felt because I instantly felt like I had landed somewhere where I belonged, you know, like that instant, almost like an instant family, I think you could call it, um, without knowing anybody or anybody's story. I just felt like, like I knew that I needed to be there and, and that Gamble's Anonymous was going to, and I didn't know then what it was going to do for me, but I, I knew somewhere in me that it was going to do what I needed it to do for me personally. Yeah. Um, so did you feel, you said you felt at home, but why did you feel at home? Because I was somewhere where people understood what I was going through, what I had gone through, what I had done. I was in a room full of like-minded people, people that, you know, although their story would be completely different to mine because no two stories are ever alike. Um, the principle of what we had done and the, the, the addiction 
of compulsive gambling that we share made me feel at ease and comfortable. Yeah. So were you ready to admit that you couldn't gamble anymore? For me personally, I was um, at the point, um, I didn't know the steps at the time. Um, you know, step one says, you know, we admitted we were powerless over gambling, that our lives have become unmanageable. I wasn't at rock bottom. I wasn't, you know, at what, you know, at the worst I was, I had ever been. I was at a point of no return. Um, if I didn't change or I didn't, um, it changed, completely changed, not 180, 360, whatever, however many degrees you want to call it. If I didn't change, I was not going to have a family. I was not going to have a life. And I was, you know, um, heading down paths that you do that you don't want to go down as an individual. So can you just go back to the, the first night when, what was the lead up to you being exposed as a gambler? Um, there's probably a lot of little things, you know, as, as the addiction hit its, hit its full stride and, you know, it was coming, you know, to the point where it was a daily thing. Um, the, the lies, the deceit, the, the story, the, the bubble that you're living in just it grows to such a point um, where you're bound to slip up. There's no way that any genius or any mind or any sort of memory that you possess can keep up with every single story or every single lie that you've told continuously for such a long period. And I think what had happened was lots of little things have been brought to my wife's attention and you know i was very calmly asked one evening over a nice dinner and wine if i had anything to say or anything to talk about and naturally the defense mechanisms and the um the overpowering uh personality that i have sort of to try and shut a situation down or change the direction of our conversation kicked in and but i knew this time was different something was different there was a calmness in my wife's voice, in her mentality, in her approach to this, that I knew I was done. Like I just, I knew it. And at the same time, I felt this gigantic relief. I also felt the most vulnerable and, and ashamed and alone that I'd ever felt all at the same time. It was the most, horrific yet liberating experience that I've ever, that I've ever had. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so your wife already knew that something was wrong. She probably didn't understand the extent of it. So what was it like revealing the extent of your gambling to her that night? It was a slow, painful process because just when you think you have it all out, something will come out because there is just so many layers to the, the onion that you're peeling to use a metaphor that you cannot expose it all to one hit. And it probably was good in terms of um, our relationship and the way that she handled it to actually get it out in, you know, over the space of say a, week to a week and a half period rather than bombarding everything at one hit because then we were able to sort of you know address some problems at a time rather than all your problems at once um but it was definitely you know extremely hard to not only remember but to communicate and get it all across and then to make her understand that that like that was it like there was nothing else. And, you know, that took a long time of, you know, probably still to this day today, um, you know, there is nothing else that's going to come of what I did. You know, you never sort of lose that stigma of what else are you hiding? Yeah. <laughs> so did you keep meticulous records of all your debts or not? I can't imagine uh, people doing that, but. Um, not, I wouldn't say meticulous, but I definitely knew I knew of them all. I may not have known the, the exact amounts, you know, say to the, to the dollar, but I was pretty good at, you know, I, I benefit from a, you know, a near photographic memory. Um, 
so I was able to retain able to retain information, especially numbers, very very well. Um, but you never really look at it as a grand picture. You just sort of look at them as individual little debts. And when you look at them as individual little items, it doesn't actually look that bad. It's not until somebody puts it down in front of you on a piece of paper and puts a figure at the bottom that you sort of you sort of look and go, ah, uh, yep. Okay. Yep. I, I I understand where you're coming from now. Like where this this anger is warranted, and this this worry is warranted. Um. So as you reveal more things over the week, what's the impact on your partner like? It's 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 oh, it's devastating. It's gut wrenching. It's 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 like you're taking everything that she knows and has known for such a long time you know you know over a decade and in her eyes is just it's all a lie it's all nothing's real you know were my vows real did i mean what i said when we got married you know we brought a child into this now you know all this time i've been lying and and gambling and wasting our money and wasting my time and you know time i should be spending with them or with her um it was it was it's excruciating it still is excruciating to this day it's not you know it's not easier now to deal with that it's just you know it's not as raw as it was yeah. then on day 5 as what it is on day 350 you know that's sort of the way i can the way i deal with it i guess yeah so what's the what's the immediate thing to do to try and get your finances under control what are the steps well, I, I, if if you need to hand it over to somebody else, hand it over to your partner, to your parents, to a sibling, to a, even to a trusted friend. You know, obviously, um, we cannot control our own finances. I was in charge of the family finances, and that did not work out at all. Um, so um, for me, I I didn't hand over everything to control uh, for my wife to control. Um, we decided for us that it was best to do it um, together to give me some sort of um, say in it to, to, to go forward. We needed to do it together because the risk is that, you know, you take everything away from me that if I wanted something, I would find a way or lie or cheat or something to, to get it anyway. So it may, you know, but for, that's just what works for me. Um, but, what we did was we had to we had to budget we had to stringently budget and look at every dollar that we had where it was going where it was coming from a and where it was going and then we soon realized that some of these uh luxury non-essential items like the nice car um and other things needed to be removed from our um total debt amount um they were they were non-essential items and we you know, although I still needed to drive a car, selling the expensive car and reducing the loan amount, you know, by you know ninety percent, and still having it, and but still having a debt, still is better than keeping the original car. Um, so that was definitely the first thing we did was look at what we could get rid of. The second thing was basically doing a, a Facebook marketplace garage sale and selling everything that we possibly could in order to get some money to just to get the monthly expenses. Cause what you soon realize is, and what they, you know, that it's very simple in the book. It tells you that, you know, the financial problems can often be the easiest to solve. And that's true because you stop gambling and your income is exponentially increased. You have all this money that, you know, you sort of never knew about or your partner never knew about. And, you know, for some you can, you know, repay those debts and, and, and live. But for me, I soon realized that, even with stopping gambling, the lifestyle that I had grown to love and to and the images I wanted to everybody to see me as and what I wanted to portray was not going to survive come that I was bringing in. Um, and that's not through not working or not making good money. That was just simply through portraying something and wanting to be a big shot and be a hero and, you know, have everything nice and, not work for it, just have it all on loans and just look good for everybody else, basically. So that that was when we sort of really realized the financial implication of what I did. And then that's when the real big decisions had to start, you know, being made on the on the finances of the household. Yeah. 
Um, so what about um, bank accounts and things like that? What's the process? What process did you have to go through to you know, get your wife involved in all of that? Well, yeah, yeah, I have to open up everything. I had to open up all of my um, my secret accounts, my you know my personal account I had since I was a since I was a wee little tacker um, that I'd kept and had hidden from her the credit cards that I had hidden the access to the credit cards. You know, even though she knew that I had a you know a card for a, you know a business or whatever it was, um, but never really seeing the figures or what the figures were actually really for. Um, closing down then any personal account that wasn't linked to her or anything that I would have used to funnel or hide gambling money, um, you know, self-exclusion from venues, um, closing online accounts and permanently excluding from, you know, all online um, gambling apps or um, gambling tools online. You know, many people don't know you can actually, you know, not just exclude and close an account. You can actually permanently exclude yourself from these apps so that you can never ever sign up again no matter what they just will not let you um which which is fantastic you know which i didn't know either until you start looking into it you know all these little terms and conditions down the bottom which are the smallest writing they're they're there you just got to look for them yeah um so i guess the other one is um you know you've told your wife but what about telling your family what's that like yeah so I described being exposed and, you know, the night that everything happened as being, you know, liberating and, um, you know, gut-wrenching all on the same night. Having to tell my parents and my in-laws on the same day in the space of, you know, a three-hour window, um, you know, I'll probably be 90 if I live that long to sit here and say, you know, that was still the hardest day of my life, Um, you know, watching your mother break down um, and the disappointment in my father's face. Um, those images, it's like a, you know, a, a, a Kodak steel image in my head that I'll never, ever forget. Um, I think my, my dad definitely knew something about my gambling and he knew that I, you know, that I did it um, because I'd done it when I was younger. Um, but not to the extent and the level of trouble that I was in at this point. Um, my mother was just broken. You know, she still today says, you know, that was the day that, you know, her, her world came crashing down. You know, I was the golden boy. I was the firstborn. I was the son. I was the mummy's boy. I was, you know, the golden child. I was all of those things. And then I just, wow. you know, it was, all, it was all a lie. You know, it was all just, you know, bang, gone. And then, you know, I had Nat there for the whole conversation. You know, she basically didn't really say a word. Um, she was still, you know, I was probably only um, maybe not even a week into being exposed. Um, we decided as a couple that we wanted to tell the parents together um, as a team, as a, as a united front. Um, but we had to get a few things in order first. Um, but I got to the point where my mum knew something was going on. She'd ask me a question. Um, then I would either, you know, would have had to have lied or um, came clean on the phone. And, you know, I sort of rang that and said, you know, like we have to, I have to tell them, you know, I'm just going to lie otherwise. And, you know, like the lying had to stop. Like that was one of the ultimatums from my wife. Um, so I had to tell them. And then after telling one, it was sort of like, well, we might as well go and tell your parents now too, because the, the more people I told or the more people I exposed myself to, not the easier it became, but the easier the conversation became, you know, and it became like a, 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 a therapeutic way for me to, to start my recovery, my early recovery. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. The St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne Emergency Appeal is raising funds to support our frontline staff. Funds raised through the appeal are being used to immediately purchase urgently needed equipment. Please donate today. Call 9231 or visit stvfoundation.org.au. St Vincent's Foundation is a 3CR supporter.
Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then head to your preferred podcast platform or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. You'll also find details of the Living Free Show and how to contact us. Alternatively, you can just call 3CR on 03 9419 Today I'm talking about compulsive gambling with Brendan and we're talking about early recovery in Gamblers Anonymous. Um, Brendan, uh, we talked a bit before about um, reducing debt and the things that you needed to do, but it, if you've got a large gambling debt, obviously you've got to do some very large transactions and large changes to your life. So what, what were the big things that you had to do? You mentioned your car, but what, what else? The, ha- the house. The house was the biggest, the single biggest thing that um, we did. Um, we had the, the nice family home at the end of a quiet street in a lovely neighbourhood. Um, probably didn't ever need to move from where we were. Um, you know, it had all the rooms you needed. It was, you know, big backyard, all the bells and whistles. Um, but it was not going to be possible for us to reduce overall debt by staying there simply because of the outlay that we had, you know, in terms of a mortgage, basically. Um, and even by increasing hours and working more, working harder um, and increasing income, all that does is impact your family time. So it's a fine balance between, you know, overworking yourself to try and get out of debt, but at the, at the cost of sacrificing the family that I'm trying to keep together, it's actually, for me, it wasn't worth it. So, we came to the decision after many months of deliberating that selling the house was going to be the best way for us to move forward as a family and to, to aid and help my um, problem with dealing with money and finance and, and stature, um, really. Um, so we decided probably six months into my recovery um, to sell the family home and um, we were very lucky that we uh, we had a great agent shout out to him if he's listening um and um we were able to sell within you know a handful of days um and rebuy very quickly as well to stay in the market um which was vital for you know what we believed you know for the future of our family and and to me that was great it was you know this huge thing that we'd done we achieved a great result um, we were going to be able to pay off, you know, a huge chunk of my gambling debt, my bad debt. Um, and that was great. That was, you know, really a, a good thing at the time, but not for my wife. Um, and that was what took me probably the longest time to understand and the longest thing to, to deal with. Because she'd, she'd realised... She realised her losses in, in real terms. Yeah, so for me, it wasn't... Um, the selling the house wasn't a sacrifice, is what a lot of people call it. It was a consequence of what I did. Um, but to my wife, selling the house and leaving your first home, you know, the place you bought your child home, your, you know, your child home to and you were raising your, your child, you'd, you envisioned your family growing and staying there for a long time she was sacrificing all of that and losing all of that because of something that I had done and kept hidden from her for such a long period of time. Um, and that was really, really difficult for me to, to understand and comprehend because I had this huge, you know, relief and, and, you know, this huge amount of debt gone. Um, but she had, she lost the asset. She lost the asset, the everything she'd known for so long and, and, and we'd worked towards, you know, and that was, it's still very hard for me to, to talk about and to, to try and understand. 
Yeah. So what, what was their reaction at that point? Um, I think there was such a big build-up to selling the house that we were so focused on doing everything ready. And then it sold so quickly and it was, you know, it was all great and that, and then you sort of pack and, um, you know, getting everything ready and then you just want to get out of the house because you've got stuff in boxes everywhere and then you move. And then it was probably the day before um, we settled on um, our house because we'd moved into the new house we bought before we settled. Um, and I had to put together all of the closure letters for the um, credit cards, for the personal loans. For everything and we got the letter from the um the solicitor you know to say that the sale was going through here's the the final figures of the breakdown of where your money's going and here is the you know here is the the bank transfer that you're going to be getting tomorrow at one o'clock and you know it's you know just sum of money and you know all of a sudden to then go hey here's x amount of money but here is our six closure letters of accounts that you need to be paying off tomorrow and closing and doing this for long at work. Um, to me, I didn't really, it didn't really, like I knew it was going to trigger something in her, but I didn't really know the extent until I got home from work on the Friday and, you know, all of the bills were paid and if that was, that was all good, but her mentality and her um, attitude towards me had gone right back to where it was when I was exposed. Yeah. Yeah, you realise the real impact. Yeah, yeah like the, the you know the, the the financial implication had really hit home. You know, at that one point when you know she's the one paying these large amounts of money out of what should have been our you know, asset now, you know, future, just to something that I'd sat at a machine and done for fifteen years straight, just gone down the drain again. You know, let alone the money I'd actually put in them. So, yeah. Okay, uh, we're getting a bit of noise at your end. Are you shuffling something? No, but I'll sit the phone still if you want. That's better, maybe. Yeah, we're getting a bit of noise just there. Anyway, um, okay. So um, also, what I was going to talk about is it's it's very hard being in a relationship if you're not both on the same page. So did you need her in, in your relationship? And in to help you recover. Oh, definitely. Um, you you need somebody that's that's a constant. You know, um, you need somebody to reference to all the time, no matter when it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's you know what, whatever the timing is. Um, but for me, you know, I had this build up of fifteen years of of lies and fifteen years of gambling and stories and you know, a, a, a persona that I built in this bubble that I was living in. Um, but to her, it was, it was all, it was brand new. You know, it only came out on May the 9th, you know, so I was at a certain point in my recovery at all, at all times and thinking I'm going along swimmingly and, you know, really doing everything great. And yet I'd had 15 years and however many months to deal with it and to know what was coming. Whereas, for her, it had just all hit her all in this one big wave, and we we were never on the same level. We were never at the same point in uh, of understanding, and that take took me. That still takes me time now to sometimes click that. Just because I understand where we're at, or I know where I'm at, she doesn't yet because she hasn't had the same amount of time to process this as what I've had. She hasn't had the same amount of you know, meetings, you know, I go to Gambles and those meetings every week. Like I've, I've never missed one. Um, you know, and even now with what we're going in, you know, doing Zoom meetings con continuously, you know, I have avenues, I have outlets of recovery, whereas she doesn't. She just has what I tell her and what, what I'm going through to relate back to, you know. So it's very difficult to try and get onto the same page sometimes. Yeah. Um, so how did she, uh, accept GA as a, I guess, as a recovery tool for you? Was she supportive? Um, on, on the whole, definitely yes, because I think she knew that if it was, if I said it was helping me and she could see it was helping me, that 
regardless of the fact that I was gone, you know, at nights for hours on end, um, you know, when we should be spending time together, um, she, you know, she's on board with the, the program itself and what it can achieve. Um, whether or not she understands how it works, I, I'll never know. I mean, I don't know if I understand how it works, to be honest. Um, but she's definitely supportive of what I'm doing in the program now in the way of, you know, being heavily involved in GA and, and trying to give back now. Um, the more that it goes on and her understanding of my addiction has probably grown simply through time and, you know, her doing research and, and trying to understand, you know, compulsive gambling as an addiction and as an illness rather than just looking at it as in, you know, how could you do that? How could you just waste that money? Or how could you just, you know, sit there for hours on end rather than wanting to spend time with us? You know, because it's probably very easy for, for partners and family members to, to assume that, you know, like it's just money, like just don't do it, you know, like, um, but you know, if it was just as easy as, Hey, you know, to an alcoholic, don't grab a beer or to a gambler, don't put that money in a machine. Then none of us would have a problem because you would just stop doing it. <laughs> you know, well, you um, have to go either. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm, you know, I was extremely lucky to have a partner that wanted to understand in some way what I was dealing and what I was going through, you know, she'll never understand. No one will ever understand what I did and what I went through because mm -hmm. nobody did it except for me, yeah. but she can begin to understand um, the why and the how it came about just so that we can manage to navigate this water, these waters together in some way. Yep. So how do you get somebody that you've lied to for years and years and years to trust you again? How do you build the trust back up? Well, that was once told to me by a very wise counsellor that I still see today. Um, trust, you can't gain trust back through grand gestures and through large... Um, Largest. Yeah, big, 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 big lunges. You, you, you build a path together by doing all of the small things over and over and over again, the mundane, the small, the slight and insignificant things over and over and over again. And by doing these things, you're just putting a tiny little pebble on the ground, forming a path for your partner or your family member or whoever it is to walk next to you. And it may be rocky and it still will be rocky for a long time. Um, but you give them the ability to trust you just that, tiniest little bit more each time you do something that you say you're going to do, keeping your word. Trusting uh, somebody else is a, is a pretty hard thing if they haven't been trustworthy before. So what sort of things are you, are you doing? What sort of examples? Um, I think it's obviously, you know, technology these days, you can be tracked pretty easily. Um, you know, I opened up, Obviously, you've opened, I've opened up my phone and any sort of other devices that I have. Um, but um, to, to personal tracking, basically, the GPS. Um, and just if I'm questioned as to where I am or where I'm going, um, it's simply doing it and being honest about where you are. Um, even the smallest thing, you know, like, did you eat all your lunch today? And normally just be like, yeah, 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 knowing that I'd gone and bought something or spent money on a bit of extra food. Um, it, you know, literally just saying, no, I didn't, I didn't eat that half a sandwich. I didn't like it. Or, you know, um, even if it gets, if it gets an, a, an angry response, it's a lot better than the response I'd get if I got caught out lying about it down the track. So it's just, it's constantly like I, I always say, it's just the little things over and over and over again. So what were the points going through that gave you a sort of a, a lift or a step that enabled you to get a better picture of your problem and how to approach your problem. Yes, I think, you know, going, going into GA um, the first time, I actually shared first, I'd been to a meeting before many, many years ago. So I knew sort of, I knew how the meeting worked. Um, but then listening to the others, um, you know, it can be very daunting at the start when you're hearing people say, you know, hey, I've had 
10 years or I've had five years or, you know, 500 days or whatever the number may be. And you're sitting there going, Hey, I haven't gambled for three days or four days or two days or one day. Um, you can sort of feel like there's never going to, you're never going to get there. You know, I, I can't gamble for one day. Like how am I going to get to five days? And then at the start, um, the milestones, are, are, you know, sort of, they come a bit sort of, they come quicker, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And those little tokens, those little keychains, you know, can be so insignificant to everybody else, but to, to the individual to, and to me, they were like huge milestones. Like 30 days was like, hey, I've, I've just gone through, you know, 30 really, really tough days, but I haven't gambled. I've got something out of this now. You know, I'm starting to learn, you know, that the program of GA and these, these 12 step programs is, is literally just about following a certain set of guidelines and principles and, and, and doing the best you can in your own circumstance to follow these. And then you get to 60 days, you get another token, then you get to 90 days, you get another one. And then they start to spread out a little bit more, but your journey starts to change and develop. At the start, it's all about just getting those days up and just really not gambling and just doing everything you can to, to stop gambling. And then as I got further involved and, and, and deeper into what was wrong with me, if that's a, the right way to put it, you start to really assess and evaluate um, the program and what it can offer you in terms of changing your life and changing the way you think and, and, and listening to every member's shares every week and the, the stories that they tell because, you know, someone might say something to you like, a, you know, like I did when I came in and I was, you know, the first person to speak and I was a new member and all of a sudden all these people that had had, you know, so many years of abstinence that were still going to these meetings every week were like, oh, yeah, I remember you know, when I had to tell my family or when I had to deal with this with my partner and, and you trigger something in them that they talk about that makes you realize that they never forgot and they don't want to forget because you, you, you can't forget what you did because you, you'll repeat it again if you do. So you've got to be constantly reminded and constantly um, aware of what you did in order to fully immerse yourself and, and recover to the best of your own ability. Yeah, okay. Uh, right, well, we might take another short break. Major Foods, exercising for your rights activity at 8-Hour Monument, Corner Victoria and Ligon Street in Carlton. Masks, black and red clothes and posters optional. Social distancing in force. 5.30pm Friday, celebrating International Workers' Day. Leave no worker behind. A 3CR supporter. Power in the land, power in the hand of the worker. It all amounts to nothing if together we don't stand. There is power in our union. So, here you are, too foreign for home. Too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Brendan about recovering from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so Brendan, uh, we're talking about NGA and, and the effect of GA on you. Um, so what, what is it like trying to navigate the program when you're coming in and being in for a little while, do you need help in understanding how to approach it all from the members? Yeah, you did, yeah, you'll um you'll soon sort of realise um you know the long-standing members and then the long-standing members who are heavily involved in the program or ones that want to be involved in your recovery um that you may you know connect with 
more than others. You know, everybody's different. Everybody has personalities that connect with other personalities. You're not going to get along with everybody in the room similarly, but you all have a common point. You have a common interest or a common, you know, um, disease. The biggest thing that I think that changed in my recovery in terms of gamblers anonymous and the, attending the meetings was when I got a sponsor. It was when I took the time. There was a member that I'd listened to that shared on on a milestone for him. Um, I felt like I connected with him on his story and his upbringing and just the way he spoke. And you know, I sort of I reached out to him um, later on and eventually caught up with him for a meal and. You know, he sort of, we were talking and he sort of was like, you know, I don't really do, I've never done this before. Um, normally, you know, people ask me, but, you know, I, I just, I'd love to be a sponsor to be able to help you. And, you know, it was something that I was going to ask anyway. So it was sort of almost maybe it was meant to be or, you know, the universe put us together for, for a reason. And that's really when my recovery started to change in terms of not just going to a meeting each week and putting a bum on a seat to try and get days up. It was about changing the way that I looked at how I was recovering. So once you get your life under reasonable control and things start settling down a bit, it's then the issue of addressing relationships and things like that. So how did your business, you know, your work life change once you acknowledged, was it difficult telling work about the problem and getting their assistance to help you increase your income to get back? Um, I was sort of in that regard, I was lucky that I'm self-employed. Um, I have a business partner, um, but he sort of knew, yeah, knew that I had a problem um, with gambling, but, you know, obviously didn't know to the extent of which it was. Um, it was a difficult conversation to sort of expose, you know, your real financial situation to, to somebody else, you know, other than an immediate family member. Um, but I felt like I needed to because, you know, what I did could imp implicate him and his family also. Work actually was probably one of the things that changed and went the best the quickest, really, because I was not gambling during work hours anymore or even after work. I was actually working the whole time rather than thinking about gambling or plotting when I was going to gamble or how I was going to gamble. And working for yourself and being paid, you know, an hourly wage, basically, um, the more I worked, the more I earned. So it was a very simple thing for me to increase income and to increase productivity. And, you know, work probably was the first thing and the quickest thing to, to exponentially improve. So did that have an impact on your family, the fact that you're working more? Or was yeah. that you didn't see you before? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's, that's the funny thing. It was sort of, you know, I probably, um, obviously I gambled more than what I worked and then I gambled more than when I worked more, if that makes sense. But the flip side was that you're trying so hard to save, I was trying so hard to save my marriage and my relationship with my young son. I want to keep that, obviously. That, you know, for my wife, it was all about quality time and spending time and showing her that, you know, I wanted to be with them and to have them in my life. So if I was to work ridiculous, crazy hours and seven days a week, it would have helped our financial situation a lot. But at the sacrifice of potentially losing my marriage and losing, you know, full access to my son, that was just something that we decided, that's when we decided and we made those big financial decisions. You know, the happiness and health of, of me personally and my anxiety around money and status, that far outweighs, you know, just working hard to maintain a lifestyle that wasn't going to make us happy in the long run anyway. Yeah. The other one I was going to ask you about too was, about the urge to gamble. When did you find the urge to gamble sort of subsided and that other things became more important? When did that switch happen? Yeah, so I think um, for me, you know, like I said earlier, I was, I, I was beyond rock bottom. I was, you know, I was at the point of no return. Um, so the urge to gamble for me probably disappeared the moment I realised that I was exposed. Um, and I can say that, you know, honestly, um, that I don't have an urge to go and gamble um, like I have an urge to go and get KFC. Um, it's it sort of, it's, it's, it's not there because I know that if I did it again, it would be the end of me um, in more ways than just, you know, a relationship or um, a marriage. Um, 
it would be a total and utter breakdown of of my life as it was. Um, and you know that that urge um, it really disappeared very very quickly for me just because I knew that I had no other choice really. I guess is any way I can put it. Yeah. Okay. Living two lives and then only living one. So there must be a bit of a hole. You must have a lot of spare time. So the, the, the urge to gamble disappears, but then the worry and, the, and the, the anxiety levels become, how do you fill that time? You know, like you had all of this time. It's not just the actual physical time gambling. It's the time you spend thinking about gambling or thinking about where are you going to get that money to pay that bill that you took from this account? Where are you going to put that money that you just got to hide it from that account? You know, it's the extra work you have to do to maintain the gambling lifestyle that you, you don't, you don't realise. So, you know, the physical time becomes easy to manage because if you were just simply, if I was going to work and finishing at a certain time and then I go and gamble for two hours and I will go home, all you're doing is coming home earlier or you work a little bit longer and you're coming home at the same time, right? It's the, it, it's the, it's the other times when you, you, you need to find something to do. And for me, um, that was um, podcasts, um, listening, reading, um, journaling, um, you know, I'm not very good at it anymore. Um, you know, you sort of, you know, you go all guns blazing at the start and then you sort of got to work out what's right for you. And for me, journaling and, and writing is not it, but listening to podcasts and, um, and talking to, you know, people like yourself, which I've done before. I'm um, another podcast. It's talking on podcasts is, is a way to, is the way to fill in that, that time. But, you know, that's the thing you have to do. You have to find a way to, to fill the void so that you're not just sitting there thinking about it because it will drive you crazy. Like, it, it, you know, many nights I would lay there and just, you know, the thought of what I was going to have to go through to, to get to come out the other side, it can, it can really eat you up. And, you know, I'm sure for, for many people it's, you know, led back down the path, back to gambling. And you know, I've been very fortunate so far that it hasn't, but, you know, I'm very wary that it's a, a one day at a time program. Uh, so what about other relationships, particularly in the family? So have you been able to rebuild your relationship with your parents and your siblings? Um, I think, you know, a, a parent's love for a child um, is, is unconditional and un, unwavering. You can, you can damage it and you can, you know, you can really try and, and hurt it. But I think deep down, you know, every parent wants the absolute best for their child and for them to have a better life than what they had. I have a very, very small family in terms of, you know, I only have my parents um, and a sister. I have a brother-in-law and nephews and nieces and stuff. But in terms of immediate family, I don't have any cousins, no aunties, no uncles. So the relationship with them, you know, they just wanted me to, to be better and wanted me to be a great husband and a great father and a great son and brother. So that's been easy. Um, the relationship with my in-laws is probably you know, similar to that in the terms that, you know, I need to be the best husband I can to their daughter and, you know, father to their grandson. And if my wife's happy and, you know, my son's happy and I'm being honest and, and helping them too, that, you know, they can, you know, help me by, you know, giving me the benefit of the doubt and, and tr trusting me that I'm doing the right thing. Um, the relationships that, you know, really suffered for me were probably, friends and associates that I should have been hanging around and associating with, you know, even, you know, like friends with my wife as well that I pushed to the side because of my gambling addiction, you know, and I would prioritize um, gambling friends or gambling acquaintances because they gave me what I needed was an out to get out of the house to, you know, go to the pub and watch the footy so that really I could just sit in front of a machine all night anyway. You know the ones that you think they, you know, are, you know, really your real friends. When yes, they may be friends and they may be people that you associate with and talk to and hang hang out with for a long time, but they're not the people that I should have been hanging out with and 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 spending my time with. And they're the relationships now that I'm trying to rebuild, but it's also difficult facing those people and telling them, you know, the full extent of what you did and and how you're sorry that you know, you just brush them to the side every time they want to do something or hang out or um, be a part of your life. And then, you know, now magically, oh, look, I realise now, you know, I probably should have hung out with you. I'm really sorry. Like, call your friends again, you know? 
So that's 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 proved very very difficult um, for me to deal with. And I guess you just realise you don't need that many friends, and you don't need you know huge groups of acquaintances because really when push comes to shove and you really hit that that point in your life of off rock bottom or the point of no return you, what you really need will be there for you no matter what so do you sponsor new members in GA? uh lately um i've been um sort of asked by um some of the rso and some of the members um to to get in contact with some new members um some younger members um, I do love to chat, um, so you know, and I do have time in the car on my own, um, and I, I like to talk to a member of GA every day. It's part of my uh, my own personal recovery. Um, I don't sponsor anybody di- directly yet. Um, I think I probably need, you know, to understand a bit more about how um, the sponsor really, you know, works by having a sponsor. I guess. Um, and, you know, waiting for that right person to sort of come along and ask. Um, I do have a few people that reach out to me quite regularly um, just to check in and to make sure they're doing okay. But just being involved in the fellowship in terms of, you know, I, we started a, um, a new meeting um, a couple of weeks before COVID-19 shut us all down. So that was a huge, um, you know, achievement for me and one of the other members, uh, John, who I did the last interview with yourself with um we started our own little meeting group if you want to call it that which is great so that's how i want to give back that's what i feel like my my path is in ga in the program um and you know i hope that one day i can sponsor someone and i'm sure i will because you know i speak with my sponsor quite regularly probably three to four times a week and I speak to his sponsor almost weekly as well. You know, it just becomes this big, what I like to call a sponsor tree and, you know, the, the, the seeds of wisdom filter from the older blokes down to the middle-aged blokes and to how, you know, we call ourselves the young brigade. Yeah. Um, you know, it just filters all the way down to us. So um, it's good to have that. I think it's imperative, actually. I don't think there's any more important step in our GA book than having a sponsor. I really don't. Okay, well, um, if there's anybody out there who'd like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can find them in Victoria on 03 9696 or you can go online to gaaustralia.org.au for more information and for local phone numbers. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Brendan for sharing his gambling recovery story with us today. Thank you. No worries, Bill. Thanks a lot for having me on. Okay. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by some members of the Alan family groups. Thanks for listening.